Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. We're here every week, uh, even in COVID-19 times, and perhaps soon we'll be out of those, we're hoping. Uh, certainly the children are back at school. But uh, we have uh, a fairly full program for you this afternoon. We've got our press release 867, which talks about the Corporation of Catholic Education in the Melbourne Archdiocese. Some very interesting uh, developments there indeed, here pretty close to home. Uh, then we have um, uh, Dale, who's going to bring us some uh, very interesting uh, material from Trevor Cobalt to save our schools. To those who have, more will be given. The largesse to the private schools continues. What they want, they just seem to get from the Morrison government while uh, the public school children go begging. And uh, Oliver has got some very interesting material from America, from the Diane Ravage blog. Then to uh, complete uh, our, our program today, uh, Diane has got some material from the OECD, which tells us that even though they're run on a, the smell of a, of a breezy bag, our public schools in Australia do as well as the very well-heeled, uh, very well-funded by the government, are private schools. So um, we're here to defend and to promote public education because whatever happens, at the end of the day, it's the public education system, which is the primary one. It, uh, it educates most of our children, uh, 66%, two-thirds of our children, and it has done for many, many years. In fact, back in the day, it was uh, 80% of our children, and we hope that eventually, after this very interesting plague, it could well uh, skyrocket to that kind of uh, enrolment percentage. So, without more ado, we'll get on with press release 867. Are you ready, Oliver? Yes. Uh, so, here we are. I'll start it off. The corporatisation of Catholic education, keeping priests out of schools. Why should priests be kept out of school? Appearances mean everything for the private religious sector. The Catholic Church has moved to make priests give up school control in an attempt to deal with the public relations fallout from the ongoing sex abuse of children by some parish priests. So they've set up a not-for-profit company chaired by a leading businessman, a gentleman called Gerard Del Bosco, and he's going to take control of the Melbourne Catholic schools, the diocese schools, diocesan schools, which come under the Catholic Education Commission in Melbourne. The company called this, corpor- called this corporation uh, Melbourne Archbishop Catholic Schools Limited under a restructure that will strip parish priests of key responsibilities. We're told in the Australian of October the 22nd that this will mark a new era for Catholic education with this entity managing schools in Melbourne. It has been done in response to the acceptance by the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference of the recommendations of the Sex Abuse Royal Commission that bishops ensure parish priests are not the employee of principals and teachers in Catholic schools. Very interesting. There's another very sensible and financial reason for this move. There's a question of payments 
amounting to millions of dollars to victims of sex abuse. The church has played funny bugger legal games over the years. They said, well, after all, the priests who abuse children were the employees not of us, not of the church, but of God. Uh, and then there were all kinds of trust problems so that people who wanted to get compensation couldn't get very much out of the church at all. And then they started paying very small sums and uh, having confidentiality clauses attached to them. But uh, things have moved on since then. So there's a question of really a lot of money that could be there for compensation. So, why are they doing this? The Victorian Parliamentary Inquiry into Abuse included a requirement for organisations providing services to children to be appropriately insured and operate under an incorporated body. So the insurance companies, not the church, is going to pay. It'll be interesting to see what kind of insurance they have to pay, won't it? I suppose the taxpayers will be asked to put that bill too. The Archbishop of Melbourne, Peter Commonsoli, has said that the system with a total income of $2.2 billion, the Melbourne Archdiocese alone has an income, and most of that would be our money, of $2.2 billion. Interesting figure. Reflected community expectations. Now, Oliver's going to read you the report uh, from the horse's mouth from the Catholic News website. And uh, if you want to check on it, you can, we've given you the uh, website in our press release. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. The change in governance arrangements will see all 293 schools owned by the Archdiocese, its parishes or associations of parishes in the Archdiocese of Melbourne, transferred to Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools Limited. Building on the significant legacy of parish priest-led and governed schools, MACS will usher in a new era for Catholic education in the Archdiocese, Archbishop Comensoli said. Education is integral to the mission of the Catholic Church to proclaim the good news, and Catholic schooling forms our young people so they may be equipped with the knowledge, skills and hope to live meaningful lives and enrich the world around them. The establishment of MACS is a necessary and constructive change to the operations for schools that not only reflects community expectations about the operation of schools, but keeps our Christ-centred mission at the heart of all we do in Catholic education. Archbishop Comensoli has appointed former EY senior partner Gerard Del Bosco as the inaugural chair of MACS to lead this historic new path for Catholic education in Melbourne. Mr Del Bosco said that he was honoured to be appointed as the inaugural chair of MACS. I'm looking forward to MACS working closely with parish priests and parishes, which will continue to be central to the care and education of Catholic school students. Archbishop Comensoli announced that the Catholic Education Melbourne will also move to MACS with recently announced Executive Director of Catholic Education Melbourne, Mr. Jim Miles, to serve as MACS Executive Director. MACS will officially begin its governance responsibilities on January the 1st, 2021. Back to you, Jane. Yes. So there's going to be a gentleman called Gerard Del Bosco, uh, rather than uh, priests and 
archbishops out in front here, and another gentleman called Mr. Miles. But make no mistake, in the background always uh, is the Catholic hierarchy, because uh, the property of the Catholic Church is owned by the archbishop uh, soul, and the corporation soul. Now, Jared Del Bosco was the former senior partner of EY, which actually was the former um, Ernst & Young legal firm. And it provides assurance, tax, transaction and advisory services. So um, he'll be very well uh, informed to help the uh, Catholic Church and the schools with taxation matters. It's headquartered in London, England, and he was, he's also been the Deputy Chair for the Committee of Melbourne and the Chair of the Board of Loretto Convent in Turin. He's the Director, or has been, the Director of the Melbourne Prize Trust, and he's also a member of the Finance Committee, Newman College, University of Melbourne, or he has been. Now, dogs make the following comments about this uh, interesting move by the Catholic Education Office. The Catholic Church may preach Christian values, and we've seen that from the Catholic News that didn't mention uh, the real reason behind this move. They just mentioned Christ-centred education, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, it's a powerful multinational corporation, this church. It's so powerful in Australia that it can demand billions of dollars, 2.2, we now find, um, annually from the federal and state treasuries. Priests may no longer hire and fire teachers, but the property and income of the church is held tightly in the ownership of the church itself. We might pay for the buildings, but they then are owned by the church. That is, the taxpayers pay for the buildings, but they then become the property of the church. The move to a corporate rather than a trust structure is guaranteed to place the financial responsibility for the sex abuse claims against the church in the hand of insurance companies. And this will protect the enormous assets owned by the church itself. But the figure released by the Australian for the Melbourne Diocese are of interest in themselves. And we've already mentioned the annual income of 2.2 billion, but they also own assets of 3.6 billion. These assets are owned by a not-for-profit company and are therefore not liable to any tax, and the annual income of 2.2 billion largely comes from the public purse and is not taxed. Whereas the public sector pays payroll tax, the Catholic sector pays not a cent. So there has been a change, a restructure, if you will, but the church, which is a multinational corporation, will protect at all costs its wealth and political influence. So that's our press release, 867, which you can find on our website at www.adox.info. And we'll have a bit of a break now, and then we will come back with uh, Dale, who's going to uh, tell us uh, about how the private schools, when they ask for something, even though they have much, more will be given to them by the Morrison government. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, 
give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. To renew your subscription, make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419 Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. See that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. And we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race hatred indoctrination. And it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. On October the 11th, uh, Trevor Cobalt did some more research. He's a tremendous researcher, this economist who once worked for the Productivity Commission. Uh, if you look him up on the internet, you'll find all of the uh, research reports that he has written over the years uh, about the funding of private schools, and very revealing they are indeed. But his latest effort, to those who have more will be given, the largest of private schools continues is very interesting indeed because the um, private schools reaped a great deal from JobKeeper where the public universities, not the Catholic University, it got JobKeeper, but the public universities were left stranded. Uh, they had to pay their, uh, their, their um, staff from funds which were dwindling because of the international students going home. So um, this is very interesting how, in fact, uh, the private sector wins out every way, which way, when it comes to educational enterprises. But over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got uh, Trevor Cobalt's article here. To those who have, more will be given. Largesse to private schools continue. In line with the adage, never let a good crisis go to waste, the Morrison government has taken the opportunity of the COVID pandemic to extend its largesse to private schools. The, the budget papers reveal that private schools received over a billion dollars in advance payments in 2019-2020 to reopen their schools. Some of the wealthiest private schools in the country have reaped millions from JobKeeper. They include the King's School, St Joseph's College, Frensham, 
the Armidale School in New South Wales, as well as Geelong Grammar, Trinity Grammar, Wesley College and Violet College in Victoria. The government also gave $10 million to private schools to offset COVID hygiene costs, COVID-19 hygiene costs for items such as soap, hand sanitizer, classroom cleaning products and additional cleaning services. Similar funding was not provided to public schools. All this adds... Are you telling me, are you telling me, Dale, that the, um, the protection of public school students takes priority over public school students? The protection of private school students does take priority. We, we spoke about this hygiene fund at the beginning of the crisis because as soon as, um, the borders were locked down, the, the, um, government came up with the hygiene fund that was only ever explicitly and exclusively for private schools. And the private schools refused to go back, even though they had access to this hygiene fund, and public schools were forced to go back, even though there was no such fund provided for them. But let's get back into Trevor's article, because he's far more articulate on these matters than I am. (laughs) I think you're doing very well. (laughs) You're too kind. Anyway, all this adds to the largesse the Morrison government has showered on private schools. The main component of this largesse is a $3.7 billion, not million, billion dollars in additional funding for Catholic schools over the next 10 years as a result of a new method of funding private schools introduced this year. Independent schools lose from this measure but are partially compensated by special funding deals. These include a $1.2 billion slush fund for Catholic and independent schools called the Choice and Affordability Fund. We know about that one. Uh, Some $172 million for, for schools to transition to the new funding method and $46 million for ACT private schools to adjust to higher levels of funding. Yes, really, none are based on the Gonski principles of needs-based funding. The new funding model for private schools is based on a measure of the direct income of families called Adjusted Taxable Income, ATI. It is used to assess their capacity to contribute to private school income and thereby determine the level of Commonwealth funding for each private school. However, ATI is a deeply flawed measure that will result in massive overfunding of private schools because it ignores several sources of family and school income as well as family and school wealth. As a result, the financial need of schools is overestimated and consequently they receive more government funding than warranted. A fundamental flaw in the funding model based on ATI is that it assumes that the parents of children pay the school fees. There is widespread evidence that many higher income grandparents pay at least part of the fees. Research by the Industry Superannuation Fund, REST, shows that almost one third of grandparents draw on their superannuation to pay school fees for grandchildren. Other research indicates that about 60% of private school students have their fees at least partly paid by their grandparents. However, grandparents partially or wholly paying school fees is only part of the story. 
Grandparents financially support their children in a myriad of ways, such as deposits on houses, house renovations, household assets, cars, holidays, etc. The REST research shows that 72% of people aged 50 or over planned to help their children financially with with such purchases, with 28% reporting they helped their children pay for holidays, 21% helped with house deposits, and 23% helped fund house renovations. Income provided for these purposes frees up family income to be used to pay school fees. It increases the capacity to contribute of families but because it's a non-taxable gift income, it is not included in ATI. ATI also underestimates the total disposable income of families who receive a capital gain because only 50% of the gain is recorded as taxable income. The capital gains tax discount is worth over $10 billion a year, and over 80% of this goes to the top 20% of income earners. Many high-income families with children in private schools are likely to be recipients of this non-taxed income. There is also no account of non-disclosed income in Australia or held in overseas bank accounts and tax havens. The use of both to hide incomes is mainly used by high-income earners who, by and large, send their children to private schools. The ATI also ignores the wealth of families, which is a significant factor in capacity to contribute. Assets such as shares, securities and other investments are just as much part of capacity to contribute as direct income. The assets of schools are also ignored in assessing their financial needs. Private donations are a significant source of income for private schools, especially high-fee schools. The billionaire owner of Canberra Airport, Terry Snow, recently donated a record-breaking $20 million to Canberra Grammar School to fund a new auditorium, a music department and library. In September last year, Loreto Kirribilli in Sydney invited families to donate $1 million each in a campaign to raise $100 million. Can you imagine a public school fate? <laughs> Sorry, many schools even the mind, the mind boggles, doesn't it? The oh, mind just boggles. The figures that you know you're you're dealing you're dealing with people from another planet. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's an echelon of it's a very rarefied echelon of society. Many schools even receive donations from overseas. The Australian Independent Schools USA Foundation raises donations in the US and Canada for 24 elite Australian private schools. Yet these donations are simply not counted when it comes to the federal government's calculations for funding private schools. Government funding of private schools based on the capacity to contribute of families is inherently flawed because it ignores all these sources of family and school income as well as family and school wealth. The insuperable, insuperable problems demand a new approach to funding private schools. Instead, the basic principle behind government funding should be that every school would operate with sufficient resources required to provide an adequate education for all students. Governments have the responsibility to ensure that children should not be deprived of an adequate education because they attend an under-resourced school. Government 
funding would only fill the gap between the income from fees, donations and other sources a private school receives and the community standard. Schools with private income above the community standard are not entitled to baseline government funding because such extra funding simply extends their advantage over public schools. Under this model, government recurrent funding for private schools would be would incorporate three features. Firstly, baseline component that varies between schools to take account of the funding obtained from private sources such as fees and donations. Two, Baseline funding would be discounted according to the extent to which private schools meet the same obligations of public schools. And three, funding loadings for schools with disadvantaged students. This model would finally provide a genuine needs-based funding model that ends the extraordinary overfunding of private schools. And, uh, yes, well, yeah, well, that's all very interesting. But Doug's position differs from that. Um, it wouldn't matter as far as we're concerned what the um, requirements were for any kind of needs-based funding. These private schools would gain it. From the very beginning of state aid to private schools going back to 1973, there have been bottom of the, of the schoolyard schemes like tax schemes uh, because that is the game the wealthy play. That is why they are wealthy. Um, and uh, the, also the, the big major systems uh, do it as well. And we can see how the Melbourne Diocese has just employed in charge of their new corporation one of the most uh, well-connected taxation lawyers in the world. So uh, thank you very much for that. If you want to read this, uh, you can find it on the Save Our Schools website, but you can also find it and our statistics area of the DOGS website at www.adogs.info. It is, it is a bit technical, but um, I think that public school people should be well informed, and that's what we try to do here on the DOGS program. But we'll have a bit of a break now.
Victoria Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434-136-501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434-136-501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Hey, all you mob, it's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. Yes, well, we've just been uh, listening to Dale uh, on uh, to those who have, more will be given. And we're very grateful to Dale, not only for her work this week, but also to her sterling work last week uh, when she put the webinar a uh, very interesting uh, group from New South Wales to air. And in the next few weeks, we hope to have another uh, series of, of webinars for you as well. Yes, I'd like uh, to say thank you to the AEU who organised that uh, web seminar. It was really invaluable and really helped us out last week. So thank you to the Australian Education yes. Union. Australian Education Union are also fighting for public schools. But unlike the dogs, they are not uh, anti-state aid to private schools. We think that uh, the private schools should... Well, we pay for them. Let's take them over, make them public schools. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, some news from America. I mean, the last couple of weeks, uh, all our news is from America, isn't it? But uh, the people of America, the voters have actually spoken. Uh, there is a new president-elect, Joe Biden which means that when Mr Trump finally, flanning around as he is, leaves the, the White House, there will also be a new Education Secretary. 
and a lot of people are rejoicing that they won't only be seeing the, the backside of Mr Trump, but also the back of Betsy DeVos. But um, I'll let you uh, now listen to Oliver, who has some material from Diana Ravitch's blog. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. Betsy DeVos just got her things though. Throughout her four-year tenure, she did everything she could to undermine public education. Instead, she promoted the idea that schooling should be a competitive free-for-all in which parents shop for schools with with tax dollars and then hope it all works out. Now is the time to end that war against public schools as she walks out the door. It is time to chart a course away from the failed reforms that began with George W. Bush's No Child Left Behind, accelerated with Barack Obama's Race to the Top, and brought us to the place where we are today. Although education has not been a major focus of this campaign, President-elect Joe Biden, unlike Obama, talked less about reform and more about increased support and funding for public schools. An acknowledgement of the critical role that money plays in achieving successful school outcomes. This is a turn from the race to the top era during which it was believed, without evidence, that three great teachers in a row and the forces of the marketplace could solve all the problems that American students face. We are optimistic about the Biden administration. At the same time, we know there is often a slip between the cup and the lip. And while a candidate can say all the right things during a campaign, personnel is policy. It is too soon to know in which direction policy will go. For example, Biden has promised that his new Secretary of Education would have a teaching experience. That is good news. But who that teacher is can make a world of difference. In our view, whoever Biden picks for the top spot of the department should have a clear record that indicates a pro-public education agenda, as well as an understanding that we cannot test our way to excellence or fix schools by threatening to close them. Here is what we hope to see in our new president's choice. First and foremost, the new secretary must support the rebuilding of our nation's public schools, which have been battered by the pandemic. Two decades of failed federal policy and years of financial neglect. Even as the president heals the nation, the new secretary must heal our nation's schools. Second, our new secretary of education must recognize that neighborhood public schools governed by their communities are essential to the health of our democracy and the well-being of children. We need a champion of public education in the Department of Education who rejects efforts to privatize public schools whether those efforts be via vouchers or charter schools. Choice programs, whether charters or vouchers, result in increased stratification by race, socioeconomics, and political points of view. Now more than ever, in a nation divided, we need to increase opportunities for students to attend public schools that build tolerance and understanding of different experiences and opinions. Third, the new secretary must end the era of high-stakes standardized testing in both the immediate future and beyond. All federal tax dollars must be directed towards helping our nation's public schools recover, not wasted on the creation of new assessments, as some have imprudently suggested. Fourth, the department's new leader should promote diversity and desegregation, both among and within schools, and commit to eliminating institutional racism in school policy and practices. If we have learned anything in the past election, It is that our country is deeply divided along the lines of class and race. Diverse public schools where students learn together and play together, whether it be in the classroom or in the sports field, 
can break down social barriers, improve academic performance, and increase tolerance. The benefits of attending socioeconomically and racially integrated schools remain throughout life. Finally, our new secretary must believe in a philosophy of education that is child-centered, inquiry-based, intellectually challenging, culturally responsive, and respective of all students' innate capacities and potential to thrive. This is a historic moment for federal education policy. Now is the time to reverse two decades of failed federal mandates. Now is the time for a new vision of what education can be. And most important, now is the time to restore the original role of the federal government as a guarantor of equity, a source for funding for the neediest students, and a source of accurate and timely research about the progress and condition of American education. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, thank you, Oliver. Uh, the people in America understand very well what public education is about. Uh, after all, uh, Ameri- America has led the way over many, many years, particularly in the separation of church and state. Although with the current um, Supreme Court that has been um, made a Republican court, uh, a very conservative court, uh, they could be in trouble there. But um, yes, public education brings children together. America is deeply divided. Australia is also deeply divided. But we depend upon our public schools to teach our children how to live together. Otherwise, we pull apart. And uh, that is not good for society. That is not good for the economy. That is not good for anything. We fall behind in the international Joneses race, as Australia has done, because we have poured so many billions into private schools that really don't need it at all, while the children in our public schools even go without sufficient food. And as we come out of this terrible recession caused by the plague, hopefully next year, let's hope again that people will be aware that a country is only as strong as its weakest link, as its young people who are in the disadvantaged groups of our society. That is why we pay taxes. That is why here at the Dogs we don't believe in the private good but in the common good. So we'll have a bit of a break and then Dale has got some material from the international scene from the OECD for you. What a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mulbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 
qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
And we just listened to Exhuming McCarthy from REM. Quite pertinent. Well, we're back here at the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And as I promised you before the break, Dale is going to read to us what the OECD has to say about the uh, private schools in Australia and the public schools in Australia. Thank you, Jean. Yes, so this article is actually, uh, it echoes the sen- your sentiments just before the break about private schools being bad for a community. <laughs> uh, this is another piece of research by Trevor Cobol, uh, and it's titled, OECD says public schools in Australia do as well as private schools. New results from the OECD's 2018 Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, show that public schools across the OECD achieve better results than private schools and that school systems with larger private school sectors have lower student achievement. After accounting for students and schools' socioeconomic profile, students in public schools scored higher in reading than students in private schools, on average across OECD countries, by 14 score points. At the system level, across all countries and economies, school systems with larger private sectors had lower average performance in reading, mathematics and science. Public schools achieve significantly better results than private schools in nine OECD countries after adjusting for differences in socioeconomic profile. Public schools did as well as private schools in the, in the 21 other countries, including Australia, for which results could be compared. Private schools did not, repeat, did not achieve better results than public schools in any OECD country. Australia has one of the largest private school sectors in the world. In 2018, private schools enrolled 42% of all secondary students, compared to the OECD average of 18%. The only countries with a larger private sector are Chile, 66%, Netherlands, 64%, and the UK, 66%. The raw results show that 15-year-old private school students are about a year or more ahead of their public school peers. However, Australia has one of the most socially segregated school systems in the OECD. There is a much greater concentration of low socioeconomic status, or SES, students in public schools and a much greater concentration of high SES students in private schools. The PISA data shows that 96% of low SES students attend public schools, compared to only 24% of high SES students. Public schools enrol the lowest proportion of high SES students in the OECD, except for Chile and the UK. In contrast, 76% of high SES students are in private schools. This is the largest proportion in the OECD, except for Chile, Spain and the UK. The highest concentration of low SES students in public schools and the high concentration of high SES students in private schools accounts for the difference in raw results between the sectors. 
low SES students have much lower average, average results than high SES students in Australia, equivalent to about three years of learning. The PISA analysis found that after adjusting for the large difference in socioeconomic profiles of public and private schools, there is no difference in results. Public schools in Australia do as well as private schools, even though they have far fewer resources than private schools, and government funding policies have heavily favoured private schools. The policy priority should be to target more resources to disadvantaged students in public schools to improve results for disadvantaged students and reduce inequity in education. If public schools were resourced, as well as private schools, they could emulate other OECD countries where public schools do better than private schools. And all of that data is available from the OECD PISA 2018 results, Volume 5, and you can find that online if you're interested. Yes, I thank you very much, Dale. I think it's totally important to take an international view of these things, if you, and, and you can. Uh, there's some wonderful websites these days, and there have been a lot of political economists since 2000 uh, who have been talking about the dangers of inequity. We've seen the dangers of an unequal society, particularly uh, with the difference between different races in America in recent elections there. Uh, it's becoming quite obvious that it is a divided nation uh, because they have not put enough money into the disadvantaged areas and uh, they have thought that the private sector can do better than the public sector, which I would have thought history had proved otherwise. But um, they, of course, want to see themselves as um, uh, anti-communist. Uh, they don't want anything to do with something like uh, even still. They're exhuming of, McCarthy. Or, so, yeah, socialism, yes. Some, yes. Um, but uh, it's a little bit the same, unfortunately, in Australia, which tends to follow either the UK or um, America. Uh, they have different class structures there, but uh, since 1980, the level of inequality in the Western democracies has uh, risen exponentially. It was very high before the First World War, um, and then it dipped after the Second World War, and we had the Keynesian uh, view of the common good. But in 1980, we had a different economic paradigm with the market um, coming coming uh, prom more prominent. Uh, for some reason, this market is laid up in heaven. It's God's own market, and uh, it can uh, solve all our problems. The trouble is that in education, it has created problems. So if you go to the OECD website, you will find that there's a great deal of interest amongst their researchers on the levels of inequality around the world, uh, and they have written some very, very interesting reports indeed. Uh, the latest report, or one of the most interesting uh, latest reports, is about um, the middle class, the squeezing of the middle class, which, of course, we've seen in America, and we're going to see it very shortly uh, in Australia because there's a lot of uh, families in Australia who may not have wealthy grandparents who are going to look very, very carefully at their budgets as to whether or not they can afford a private education 
for their children. And as Robert says, the Karens are coming. And uh, the Karens are the, uh, I suppose they are the Anglo um, uh, version of the Tiger Mum, aren't they? They are, um, they are the Tiger Mums uh, of the of the eastern suburbs and the southern suburbs, I would imagine. But, uh, yes, so we live in very interesting times. The other website I can recommend is the World Inequality Database, which also gives you an idea of what has been happening, not only in Australia, but around the world, and particularly in America, uh, in, in levels of inequality. Uh, America is uh, well, well up up the ladder. Uh, South Africa is the worst and Australia is 19th out of 37. So we are 19th in 2018, the most unequal country uh, in uh, the OECD. Very interesting, isn't it? And of course the, um, the Scandinavian countries and Slovenia are the least unequal. But uh, that's my two pendeth words for today. I think our time has gone. Thank you very much to Dale and Oliver today who have helped us put this to air. In fact, we could not do without Dale. So from the dogs, it is bye for now. Uh, if you want to find out more, go to our website at www.adogs.info. Bye for now.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.